Folks, welcome to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. We're back again with Chase Busenbark, our uh, certified business broker expert slash guru and knower of all things related to uh, business sales. <laughs> Chase, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks, Ed. Thanks for thanks for holding that hat so high above my head. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, you've uh, I think I think the last couple of episodes we've really gotten some super information on this whole, you know, starting the process of selling, making that decision to sell, things you got to be ready for, decisions you've got to make uh, on the early part of the, of the process, and then what that whole sales process looks like. And I think that's been really helpful to our listeners. Today, we want to get into what I think is probably a, a core issue and probably the most, at least in my mind, from my experience, most contentious issue, and that's what's this business worth? Uh, I run into so many business owners, small business owners that think their businesses are worth a whole lot more than they really are. Uh, this is a podcast, obviously, for countertop fab shop business owners. Um, you deal with this industry and others. And I'm wondering this issue of not really having a good sense of what your business is worth. Is that unique to this industry or is that pretty common with small business owners? You know, Ed, that, that's a good question. I would say that the majority of business owners across every market typically think that the business is worth more than what it actually is. Um, you know, you, you come across those businesses every once in a while that business owners that are surprised at the valuation given back to them. Like, oh, I had no idea. You know, I, I do have a nice sellable business here. But um, yeah, for the for generally speaking, for the most part, I would say that, that um, they kind of are overinflating the value of the business. What do you, um, and I see the same thing too, obviously. Uh, what do you think the main reason is for that perspective, that difference in in what we think it's worth versus what it's really worth? Any idea what drives that from your experience? A business owner knows how hard they've worked to get it to the point that they're at. They know what they've gone through, the sacrifices that they've made, the, uh, you know, a, a the good employees that have quit and they've had to fulfill those shoes, especially in the fabrication industry where one day they might be selling the product the next day, uh, measuring it. And then the next day installing it, potentially even fabricating it. Some, you know, so, um, but even for the larger business owners that are above that, that aren't doing that so much, um, not doing the full owner operated, uh, situations, but then just from the management management standpoint, you know, in the fabrication industry, it's very hands-on. There's a lot of chain pieces to make up that entire chain. And if there's one big key missing link there, it's got to be fulfilled to get that kitchen complete, right? So. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly complex industry, no question. Uh, I've described this industry to people who aren't familiar with it as an intersection between, um, you know, retail, uh, wholesale B2B, uh, we've got uh, manufacturing, we've got construction, we've got design elements, you know, just all sorts of things that come together that you just don't see in many other industries. So, yeah, it's complex. Um, and I think, as you say, people just put their blood, sweat and tears into it for so long. Man, it's got to be worth something, right? Absolutely. And to kind of hit on that a little bit further is um, just the, the the actual value of the business versus what the potential you know, a business owner always sees that potential. Well, if, if a guy were to do this, um, it can make it that much better. You know, it could be 10% better. If you if you saved a little bit on your on the materials that you purchased and bought in bulk, you know, you could save a little bit there. But 
at the end of the day, businesses are typically sold off the actuals and not off the potential. So, yeah. and and that's and that's how they're financed and as well, and that's how lenders look at the business too. So let's dive into the valuation a little bit. Um, certainly, I'm not an expert. I, I've been around this uh, in in a, in a number of roles. Um, what are the from as as the professional business broker? What are the major factors that determine the value of, of a, say, a, a countertop fab shop that somebody wants to sell? Absolutely. So uh, before we get into the really, really hard details of, uh, you know, multiples and how to value and looking at the cash flow and debt to service, things like that, um, you know, you, you've always heard the saying, uh, you know, something is worth what somebody's willing to sell it for and what somebody else is willing to buy it for. And uh, at the end of the day in business, that, that can that can really hold true to a lot of people because you never know on the other side's situation and, and um, what how it may benefit them. You know, it may benefit them from a tax perspective or it may benefit them because they've worked for a corporation for so long and now they're actually ready to go out and buy their own business. So I always I always tell business owners right up front. Um, you know, I like to do a market price valuation. So just, you know, standard valuation of what the business is worth to determine what I think the business is worth. Okay. Now, ultimately, I'm willing to list the business for what the business owner thinks it's worth if we're within reason. Right. I mean, we, right. we got to be we got to be similar because, um, um, you know, if we're not within reason, I don't want to waste the business owner's time, nor do I want to waste my own. Yeah. And um the end of the day, regardless of what I think the business is worth or what seller thinks the business is worth, the market's going to determine the value of your business. And the one true way to do that is to begin to get some offers on the table. So let's see what kind of offers we get. And um, you know, we'll, we'll see if it's acceptable to you as the owner in, in the position and the situation that you're in as well. So get some offers on the table. Um, I can't, you know, expect, market the business or anything without the business owner's expressed consent. And that typically comes in the form of listing agreement. Yeah. That's one of the first things that I'll kind of get into. And um, yeah, in, in looking at what is the value of this business? Because at the end of the day, regardless of what I think it's worth or what I think it's worth, let's find out. Let's find out what it's worth. Okay. Um, so as you go do your your estimate of what the business is worth, um, you know, certainly the ultimate value is what somebody's willing to pay for it. But one of the factors that you the objective factors that you go through to figure out, you know, a guy's got a, a three million dollar a year fab shop and he's he's netting 10 percent. Um, how do you figure? And let's say he owns his building and his equipment uh, may have some notes on equipment, may even have a mortgage on the building. What do you, how do you, you sort out what the, the, is that business worth $3 million or is it some number less than that? How do you figure that out? Right. Yeah. So kind of getting into those a little bit more detailed financials now. Um, I'll, I'll first begin with looking at the profit and loss reports, the balance sheets, the tax returns. And I use a, a couple different systems where I can actually see what lenders have and what the business is actually closed for. So through that, it's a, it's a comparable to the industry. We're in, and I can see ultimately, you know, the inventory amounts, um, what the EBITDA multiples are, what the seller's discretionary earnings multiples are, and then kind of compare that to the gross revenue and the profit 
margins of the business that I'm working with as well, right? So that's that's kind of one good overview um, from a comparable standpoint. All right, so you now, used a couple of terms in there. I want to make sure we don't miss those real quick for folks who aren't familiar with them. One of them is a term called EBITDA. What, what is EBITDA? Absolutely. So EBITDA um, is an acronym spelled out. So earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So let's look at the uh, let's look at the net operating income of the business, and then let's figure out what the business is from an EBITDA value worth, depending on the depending on say seller situation. So um, you know you're going to add back any depreciation values, and this gets me into a whole other topic called normalizing uh, normalizing the actuals of the income statement. So we'll look at those. Uh, profit and loss reports or those tax returns both typically combined and um, and look at the actuals to say what are some addbacks here let's normalize this and let's figure out what this what this true business value is worth from an EBITDA standpoint and the seller's discretionary earnings standpoint right so okay. when doing so they may have some discretionary expenses within the business that uh, the new buyer may not, you know, have. So you have an example, maybe of, of some of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, your wife doesn't work in the business, but you're paying her car insurance and her gas card, and uh, your 16 year old son's, you know, vehicle insurance, and you guys go on a family vacation, and it costs five thousand dollars, and it's, you know, or ten thousand dollars, and it's a business expense. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so to take some of those things, but there's also a fine line there because you can't go over the top with those addbacks because a lot of times lenders, if you can't really, really justify them, the lender at the end of the day doesn't want to say, yeah, let's add it back in there. Um, they would rather be on the safe side. So actually reporting the true financials, you know, that three years prior to selling the business is going to be more important than trying to figure out all these addbacks because they may not justified at the end of the day. And so part of this kind of gets into the the fact that, all right, when you look at a P&L statement for a business, we all know as business owners, we're going to make decisions that hopefully in, improve the business, improve the performance of the business, but we also want to try to minimize our tax impact as much as we can. And that's why this normalization you're talking about with, you know, vacations, car payments, whatever, uh, things that that may or may not be okay tax wise from IRS perspective, but you know we'll we'll work out in favor of the business from a tax point. Um, are, are things we kind of need to clean up so that a prospective buyer and also the lender, the bank itself, can understand what's really going on in the business. So you're just trying to kind of clean all that up and and balance out what an owner may have done to try to minimize tax impact. That's right. And so to even give you an actual example of how to minimize that tax impact, you know, no seller wants to pay more taxes than what they have to. And that, that's, that goes for everyone. So um, let's take an example that let's say you have ad backs of, say, um, $20,000 for easy numbers. So that, that's what you're trying to write off that may not actually be expenses through the business. Or you're trying to write those expenses off because you have a different business and that other business isn't profitable but this is the true money maker you know it's making the profit um let's take that twenty thousand for example and say it 
that saves you 25% in taxes at the end of the year. So we're going to take $5,000 that that saved you in, in hard money. Well, let's say now whenever it comes to evaluation standpoint, I'd say just a, a simple three times multiple, that 20000 is now worth $60,000. So you're comparing okay. with 5000 times the three years, 15000 compared to uh, the actual profit showing that revenue from an IRS perspective of 20,000 times the three years. So you're comparing the 15,000 to a $60,000 valuation difference the last three years when it comes to selling a business. All right. So now we're getting into the concept of, of multiples. Um, and to me, from, from my experience, the two big factors that really the, the num two numbers you look at for, for business valuation are what's that EBITDA, what's that net earnings of the business that's normalized, and then what multiple do you apply to that? So we're, we're kind of into that multiple uh, arena. Um, how is the multiple used with the EBITDA to determine value of the business for folks who aren't, aren't familiar with that process? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, whenever it comes to those multiples, the EBITDA, for instance, those multiples still can vary. So let's take the same industry. We have a granite shop. A granite fabrication company and one business is making 150,000 profit at the end of the day, while the other's making, say, $750,000 profit. Well, even though they're the same industry, right, those multiples are still drastically different because it's going to still be based off of that profit mulligan. In this industry, it's, um, it's a very, very asset heavy industry. You have to have a lot of it, you know, a business owner that is doing more volume, um, typically has, you know, more an asset volume. They have all the, all the machines, you know, they're drilling out the concrete. So they have a lot of leasehold improvements, which say, even though they may own the real, real property as well, but it takes a lot of preparation to get that fab shop up and running. So they have a lot of asset value on the front side. And then also they may have a lot of inventory value as well. So businesses, generally speaking, um, are sold, those multiples are based off the, the assets included as well. It's not very common that you're going to see a multiple plus what the actual assets are that produce that income, right? The assets right. are what produce that income. So you either have the asset value or you have the multiple value, which whenever you're selling business hopefully outweighs that asset value. That's when, that's when you know that you're in a lot better position than just or the assets worth alone. Okay. And and the way the multiple is used on, on, on working the valuation from that formula, you're taking the EBITDA times a number to come up with the the value of the business. What what are typical multiples in that you see in this industry? They vary, um, you know, they vary drastically. I mean, you can say probably typical EBITDA multiples are three to five and and uh with owner's compensation, say you know, all the way from 1.5 up to three or four. Mm -hmm. So they, they do vary quite a bit. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to not only just the multiple, but how is the business from a, from a cash flow standpoint, whenever a buyer goes to purchase the business, and now you're taking into consideration what is, what's the cash flow? If I'm deducting the actual taxes out of the cash flow, um, 
what is the what is the actual um just the business and how does that affect the debt to service ratio so most okay. of the time a business a lender is going to want to be you know no less than a 1.3 1.4 debt to service ratio and that's just so, kind of that so how do you calculate debt to service ratio in case somebody wants to do that for themselves with their own financials what's how do you get to that 1.3, 1.4? What, what do you divide? What two factors are you dividing out? Um, for that service ratio? Yeah. You're, you're dividing out the business cash flow divided by the debt service after all the expenses. Yeah. And dividing it by the actual debt service. What am I paying a month in, or, or multiply it times 12 a year to, you know, in comparison to what that cash flow of the business produces? So to use simple numbers, so my uh, my 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 Clemson brain can can calculate here. If we're looking for a a ratio of one point three, uh, that would mean that for a business that has a hundred thousand dollars a year in in debt, you you'd want to see uh, profitability of one hundred twenty, hundred thirty, hundred forty thousand a year is at one point three, one point four ratio. Is that what we're saying? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually looking at a business right here in front of me that I'm, I'm uh, valuing this week, and the business cash flow is two and a half million, and the business debt service is one million three hundred fifty thousand. So that's a that's a business that's a debt service ratio of about a one point nine. All right, and so those are things uh, a really favorable debt service ratio is going to help the multiple, right? Is that how that works, or is it used a different way? How did you phrase that in? <laughs> well, all right. So if I've got a, uh, the business you've got in front of you has a debt service ratio of 1.9. Okay. Um, how does that impact the multiple? You've already got the the EBITDA of the company. Does that debt to service ratio influence where you put the multiple or or is it even involved in that equation at all? Yeah, I'm. Um, it, it is involved, you know, and, and from a broad, I said that you could use those multiples earlier and I could see the history of what those multiples are within a certain industry, right? Okay. So it's very common, even within the granite industry. Okay, you know, an, an average multiple may vary between, let's say, two and three, just to keep it really simple. But at the end of the day, if, if the cash flow doesn't work out, then that multiple may be effective as well, right? So, okay. so you can, you can have a starting point. Let's 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 get a let's have a starting number. Let's say what is the cash flow and let's put a multiple on it. But now let's work these numbers backwards to determine how how fast am I going to pay this business off? What you know, what do I actually have to do to keep producing the numbers that it's producing? Let's let me look at it from a from a buyer's perspective, right? And and I think as a seller, you should you should look at your business as that too. What am I, you know, what would I be willing to pay for my business? Because I think a lot of business owners really think that they're, you know, the business may, it may just be a confusion. They may think it's a multiple of the gross revenue rather than the actual profit. They right. may think, so it's not that they, you know, they're trying to overinflate it. It's just maybe that you're just not a hundred percent sure how the numbers actually work. They've never ran their business from a, from a, from a debt perspective to see if I were to buy this business today, what would I be willing to purchase it for? And then how long can I begin to get my money back before I begin to, you know, truly profit from the business? Yeah. And that's, and that's how any business has kind of got to be looked at from a deeper standpoint of 
uh, let's just take a, a multiple and, you know, put it on the business and that's what it's worth. Understood. And that gets into the discussion. And we talked a little bit about this in the earlier episodes about, you know, working on your business versus in it, you know, making your business a vehicle that gets you to some exit strategy, helps you achieve some goal in life versus your business being a lifestyle, something that you eat, live and breathe, you know, most of your waking hours, most of your days, and and there is no end result game plan. Um, so obviously a business that's set up to, to operate as a vehicle, something that anyone who knows how to drive it can drive. You know, if I've got a if I've got a, a vehicle, you know, my wife can drive it, my daughter can drive it, you know, that kind of thing versus something that I'm the only one that knows how to drive. And, and the, the analogy I use is uh, if you look at your business and if the owner of the business is like that tall pole in a tent, that polished pole, if you pull the owner out, the tent collapses. Is that your business or are there a lot of tall tent poles supporting the business the owner pulls out, it, it has little effect on the tent. The tent stays up. It's kind of a simple, you know, really simple analogy I use. But when we get into valuation, there's there's a profit of the business, you know, EBITDA, we go through and normalize that as you talked about. And we take that and run it against a multiple that can be anywhere from, you know, I've, I've got a friend who is a CPA who actually ran a fab shop for a few years. And he says that what he has seen in his experience multiples run between three and six, which would mean you'd take a business with a, with an EBITDA of $100,000 a year and and multiply it by, by say, three on the low end. That's business worth $300,000 is one, one aspect of business value. I know there are things you consider as well. Um, but then we get into the discussion of, okay, how do you influence the multiple? If the range is from two to four, three to six, whatever it is, how does a, a business owner who wants to sell his or her business sometime down the road, how do they how do they not just impact the 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 profit of the business, the EBITDA, but how do they impact what that multiple is going to look like? You know, from a multiple standpoint, I you're exactly right. You know, you kind of hit on that three to six and and that, but uh, you, there are many. I guess you could say there are many different ways to in, impact that multiple. Um, like you, like you had also just previously mentioned, you the owner operator and you the long pole on the tent. Um, so depending on the you know the the size and the value of the actual business, there's you have the owner operated businesses that say hypothetically are profiting less than three three hundred thousand. That that owner is probably probably going to be very involved. And then outside of that, once you once you start getting above those those points, you know, you're, you're taking into consideration um, just the revenue trends, the true profitability of the business. Um, and, and I kind of break that down, with, say, three to five years side by side and, and look at the numbers and the percentages next to it as well. And any, you know, the larger the business is, um, more times than not, those buyers are going to really really be analyzing it from that perspective so so they're looking they're looking kind of at the historical performance trends of the company not just revenue not just profitability but also things like debt to service ratios and and other typical financial metrics they're looking mainly at the numbers and not so much at the structure of the business is that because the business is large enough that to be that large and be successful it has to have a certain amount of infrastructure 
that is independent of the owner, say a, a $20 million business compared to a two or $3 million a year business, totally different infrastructure, totally different processes, procedures, part of how that $20 million a year business got to that size from wherever it started was because it had all that built in, right? So it, it's all those things that kind of affect that multiple. And then at the end of the day, it's, it's really putting those, you know, so you, you may have a plan as a business owner to try and this business has other ways to make more money, you know, so it has this potential and it has, has more potential, but really putting that potential to, you know, to paper, if you will, is where, is where it's really going to make a difference. So let's, Let's, let's take your ideas and let's make it a reality. And now that reality becomes part of a better asking price for the business. Um, so and I actually just looked at a different business other than the one that I'm talking about today. And the, the guy does roughly $4 million a year in gross revenue, but he's, he's got a mixture of his personal expenses um, because he's got some rental property and he's got another business. And, you know, so he's kind of taking money from his profitable business in the granite countertop industry. And he, he's using that money to move it over towards another business. And he, he doesn't really have good books. He doesn't yeah. have good profit and loss reports. So it's, it's really hard to dissect his business from a true cash flow coin or what, what is this business profiting right now? Even though, you know, the business, he, he's thinking it's making roughly five dollars and $600,000 a year. It's a nice business. It's a profitable business. It's a it's a business that's very sellable. So with that being said, um, just having clean financials again and, uh, and having that on paper. So what we're actually having to do is, and he's getting with his, his bookkeeper and uh, kind of CPA. To, he doesn't have a true CPA, but his bookkeeper to compile this maybe even get with the CPA to produce these documents so his business now is sellable. He's, he's printing off the last three years of his bank statements and more or less we're trying to create accurate profit and loss reports from that, right? Wow. Man, that's that's yep. three years worth transaction by transaction. That's that's a job and a half, man. That's tough. It's a it's it's gonna take a lot of time. And, and he's going to do that while he's still running his business too. And this is not, this is an additional job he just put on himself. Right. I mean, you're exactly right. Now I think that he, he do it accurately. He needs to have his bookkeeper or, um, you know, a CPA. He's, I think he's going to go get with an accountant and say, hey, how can we actually do this right? To create yeah. these financials. And then once they're, once those financials are created, there's got to be documentation of how they were created. Yep. After that, because the buyer is going to say, well, you know, where's the where's the proof saying that where this information came from? So whether that's highlighting the bank statements and saying this number came from here, this number came from here and so on and so forth. It's, it's got to be documented where it's it's factual to where now a lender believes it. And then also a buyer is willing to believe it. Like I said, this is a very nice company. This is a business that's doing four million, you know, roughly profiting five six hundred thousand dollars a year, and the business isn't sellable until this is done. And and once all this is done, it'll be more sellable. But because the financials 
will have obviously come from a recreation of what's happened the last few years versus having had obviously clean books separating the businesses out for the last three years. Then when a prospective buyer goes to look at it, it's going to make that prospective buyer question other things in the business. Well, the financials are, they're a little, little fuzzy here. Even after it's cleaned up, what else is fuzzy in the business? And then that lender who, if the buyer assumes is going to go through a bank or a lender of some, some type to borrow the money to help complete the transaction, that lender is going to have the same question too. And all that together is going to influence probably driving that multiple down below what it would have been if, if he'd had clean books and better bookkeeping practices for the last few years. Right. That's correct. Okay. So keeping all your books clean, keeping your multiple businesses separate is important, not just from a management standpoint, knowing where you're making money, where you aren't and helping you make good business decisions. But in the early part of this process, they've got to be able to convince you, the broker, you know, of of the fact that all this is being tracked properly and give you good, clean data to help make a good recommendation for business value. And then beyond that, it's got to go to a prospective buyer who says, yeah, I think it's probably worth something like that too. And then we've still got the lender that can come look at it and say, well, maybe, maybe not. So it, it's really, I think what I'm trying to do is hammer home the importance because I've Shockingly, I've 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 talked to businesses doing eight ten million dollars a year in revenue that do not do monthly P and Ls and don't do regular balance sheets. They'll do a tax return at the end of the year. CPA will do it, but if you don't have those regular monthly statements, the impact on your ability to sell your business and the impact on what you'll get from the sale of the business can be seriously impacted. Can it? That it absolutely can. Yes, it can. I mean. Even if that business is making a certain amount, there's no justification for that. It's really going to make somebody uneasy. So, you know, and if a buyer's uneasy and a lender's uneasy at the end of the day, um, depending on how much equity injection the buyer has, let's take the lender completely out of it. Let's say that, you know, a buyer is in the most fortunate situation um, and they have 100% of the asking. You know, 100% of the asking price, which is never going to happen. He's just going to write right? a check, right? Yeah, yeah. which <laughs> which the odds of this happening are like 0%. Right, but right. Let's say that they did. They're still going to want to give themselves, you know, a, a safety net of, say, and what does that number work to them? Is that 10, 15, 20% off the asking price to say, well, if anything does go wrong because there is no true documentation here, I'm still going to be okay. Yeah. You know? Okay. And and then that becomes the asking, you know, that becomes the, the offer on the table, that person, that, that buyer. Certainly. And, and the reality, again, is it, it's worth what somebody is willing to, to pay you for it. So one way the uh, a prospective seller can impact this multiple is to make sure we've got good, clean financials month by month back at least three years, preferably five. Um, the, the larger business, as you mentioned, you know, you start getting into, you know, 10, you know, eight, 10, 15, $20 million size businesses, the, the buyer and the lender are going to look really heavily at those financials because the business is assumed to have a certain amount of infrastructure to continue without the owner, you know, being integral to that. The smaller businesses, then you'll be looking at both those financials and how well the business is structured 
to survive without the owner. And those are things that will impact the multiple. You were talking about future plans. One of the things that talked with Aaron Crowley in our previous episodes about his experience was his lender actually asked him to sit down and, and write out what the the game plan was for his business for the next few years. How does what are, what is the what is the buyer going to have to do? Where is the buyer's opportunity? What are the things that if Aaron wasn't selling the business, he would continue to do over the next few years uh, to to grow the business? Because the lender wanted to understand kind of what the future of the business looked like in a sense, mm-hmm. and that impacted his multiple. Um, gave the give the lender a lot of confidence. Um, the buyer was already confident. Gave the lender a lot of confidence in that case. Um, one of the things that I do with with uh, shop owners is we, you know, usually pretty early in the engagement, we start talking about what's the rest of this year look like, what's the next year look like, what do your long term plans look like, where does the data come from to feed those plans, and so if the business owner wants to impact their multiple for selling a business then these near-term and long-term plans and the data and the documentation for where those plans come from, what they're based off of, gets to be an important factor that sounds like that could also impact the multiple when you go to sell as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it, everything really does. I mean, everything makes a difference at the end of the day. And uh, what I like to do, you know, from a business standpoint, a lot is, is they'll do that valuation and then let's hypothetically, let's say, work those numbers backwards. Because you, you you had mentioned, you know, a lender wants to know that plan and what is that business owner, what would they be doing, what would the seller be doing if they were to keep this business for the next two to three years? So as a specialized broker in the industry, I think it really, you know, it makes a difference me being specialized in this industry because I know the industry. I work with a lot of the lenders. And if I continue, you know, to do more and more transactions and, and things begin to go smoothly, well, of course, you know, they build confidence in, in that process with myself and, and vice versa. So with that being said, um, yeah, I'll, I'll work with those business owners to determine also what the value of the business is today. So, they may they may think they want to sell the business today, but in all reality, we kind of work those numbers backwards. So if they want to hit a certain number or, or you know around a certain selling price, there's no guarantee naturally in anything. Right. But if they want to be around that point, then we'll run those numbers backwards and say we'll need to be doing this volume or this profit to kind of hit those numbers that you're wishing to see. So things get pushed back, you know, two, three years and uh, to benefit the seller. Hopefully. Well, and that's that's exactly the kind of conversation I have with my clients is, OK, what is you know, at some point, you know, people always call me because they either have a problem they're trying to solve. They don't know how to fix it. So we, we work on that. And then the other reason is they'll call me because they're they're doing relatively well, but they want to do much better and they're not sure how. Uh, and in all those conversations, we always end up talking about uh, this aspect of eventually leaving the industry. What are you going to do when you're not doing this anymore? Um, and, and what's that going to cost? So when you go to sell your business, what kind of money do you need to put in, put in your pocket to walk away from this thing? And depending on what it is you want to do, we put a number on that. And let's say the number is $5 million. You know, they want to sell and put $5 million in their pocket. Well, 
All right. If your multiple is three, then you can take five million divided by three. And that's kind of where your your net earnings, your EBITDA kind of needs to be in that ballpark as a rough, you know, as, as a as a rough end. If you want that multiple, if you think you can get that multiple to four or five or six, then you don't need as much profit necessarily, but you need a longer term track record and you need a lot of infrastructure in your business to make sure that it justifies the multiple. So a lot of a lot of aspects of that. And we take, okay, what is your business worth today? Let's take that EBITDA, run it by, you know, hit it by a certain multiple. And and let's say that the in this case today, the, the owner is the long pole in the tent. So that multiple is going to be on the low side, two or three. So a business that the owner may think is worth a million or two might be worth half a million dollars. Uh, I had exactly that situation with a, a woman who was, um, she was a, a single woman, a woman-owned business, inherited from her late husband. She was in her in her 60s, was kind of getting tired, wanted to retire, and thought her business was worth a million dollars. And when you run the numbers, it was worth maybe a third of that. And she was really in a situation where she couldn't afford to sell the business and retire. Based on some other personal issues, she really needed to get it to where it would bring in a half a million or three quarters of a million dollars to be able to for her to be able to afford to retire because that that cash out from selling the business was her retirement. You know, she had put everything she had into the business, she and her husband. And so it's, you know, her her nest egg to live off of was a result of that sale. So we had to put together specific plans to start to drive the value of that business up, both from an earnings standpoint, a growth standpoint, and infrastructure in terms of how it was structured and set up and who she had on staff to make that business where it was more sellable because initially it wasn't sellable because she was the business, really small business, less than a million a year, about a million a year in sales, different industry. Um, so we had to get it where it was sellable and we had to do all we could to drive that value up so that when she did cash out, you know, a couple of years down the road, she actually had enough money she could probably live off of, you know, for the rest of her years. And so that kind of discussion is something that, that I always get into with owners and say, okay, what's your business really worth today? What does it need to be worth five years, 10 years from now, whenever? Um, and then get them thinking about, all right, here's the game plan. You know, we got a point today, we got a game, we got a, uh, a time frame, you know, five to 10 years out. We've got a value today of X and we want that value to be Y whenever we cash out. And so now we've got, the beginning point, ending point, we put together a plan to execute. And so I think it's really important to have that mindset validated by folks like you that understand it. Yeah, based on your experience selling businesses, having this infrastructure right is critical. Uh, not being the long pole in the tent is critical. Having your your regular monthly financials produced, your 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 business that you may want to sell is separated from other business interests. Uh, your personal life is not too tied up in the business. All these things kind of come together to to basically say, hey, you're, treat your business like a vehicle to get you from where you are today to where you want to be when you're not doing this anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of value that you have to offer there too, helping business owners in this space by doing that. I mean, uh, really, really making them sit down and think about that process and then what's their position within the business currently? How much debt you know are, are they in the business, and then what is their business worth, and then what are they able to keep after that debt, right? From yeah. the closing statement that the actual uh, the actual attorney or closing closing attorney, whenever the business does sell, what are they able to walk away with? So, uh, very important stuff that you have to offer there. 
Well, and I think too, it's it's helpful for them to you know for a prospective seller to to go ahead and talk with them, even if they, if they don't want to sell for say five years. We've talked about having three years of financials. They may say, okay, well, I don't have to start this process right now. Actually, based on our our previous conversations, previous episodes, both with you and with Aaron, I think hopefully we made the case that you need to start now with whatever plans you have for selling your business, whether it's two years out, five, ten years, whatever. There's a lot to be done. Um, I think there's actually value in, in actually sitting down one-on-one with a business broker and all the things we've talked about, validate them with the broker that you may work with. Go ahead and and either, even if you have to pay for it, have the broker do evaluation today on what your business is really worth. You know, we got Ed and Chase sitting here chatting about this and we had Ed and Aaron chatting about it earlier. Okay, you're you're the professional. You're a certified broker, so your 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 perspective on this carries a lot more weight than mine or Aaron's. But if they're working with you or working with another broker, go ahead and get in that valuation today to confirm. Yeah, today's market to, to condition of my business today, it's actually worth X. Can I afford to sell it and take that out? Is that going to work out for me, or do I need to make plans to do something different? So I think that's a really good starting point: is call a broker now and have that conversation. Yeah, I, I uh, consider it a physical for the business. And I, I think that it's yeah. necessary, you know, every, I would say, you know, at least every five years, right? Depending on what your, depending on what your true goals are with the business. I mean, if you want to sell it sooner, naturally, you know, quite a bit sooner. Yeah. If you want to do a five-year plan, maybe it's good to keep up with it every, at least every year. The way yeah. you can see, see the differences. But yeah. Uh, even even if you have no intentions of selling whatsoever, I would say you know a three to five year physical of the business is is definitely worth knowing from your standpoint. And again, that's just to know what you're working towards, what goals you've set, what the profit percentages are within the business, and, and even compared to gross revenue percentages. You know what can you do to make a difference, and then how do, how are you actually analyzing each line item by line item in the profit and loss report? And comparing the actual percentages to the last three years, go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, my you know this expense went up dramatically, and just the opposite for this expense. So, yeah. just just to analyze that from that standpoint, it's it's really worth a lot. I I think I agree one hundred percent. And and we've all we've all these conversations have been around the the assumption that you'll sell your business at some point. I think all this still applies if the exit strategy is to transfer the ownership of the business to your kids or your brother-in-law or whomever, you know, there's, there's still the need for everything we've talked about, even in that type of exit strategy as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Yes, I, okay. I, I do. Cool. Obviously, as you get into business valuation, there are, there are some more details, technical things we can get into uh, a lot of other things to consider, uh, kind of beyond the scope of a, of a podcast that's you know going to be 30, 40 minutes long. Um, if they wanted to to get in touch with you and talk about some of those details to do maybe a preliminary evaluation, um, how could they get in touch with you, Chase? Yeah, so uh, my email or my, let's start out with my phone number. My phone number is 573-664-0002. And uh, my email is my name, Chase, period. Busenbark, that's B-U-S-E-N-B-A-R-K at fcbb.com. And uh be more than happy to walk walk you through that valuation and give you any points and tips or tricks on that would help you potentially uh, 
increase the value of the business or, or at least what to expect from the standpoint that is that's in it right now. Okay, good. Appreciate that. As we start to kind of wrap this up, um, I'm wondering if you've got any thoughts about once somebody has sold their business, what now? Well, it's a big decision to sell a business, especially if you've, you know, if, if it's uh, been part of the family or you've held on to it for a long time. And uh, what now is, is you should have, you should have that answer before thinking about selling your business. You should know what your, what your plans are or what you plan to do with your time or um, maybe even still work with the business. You're just not the owner of the business anymore. Whatever that case may be, it's definitely good to have that plan in place because uh, life's going to change for you quite a bit. You're used to being super busy, owner operating the business. People are calling you. It's 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 a part of your identity, and and uh, now it's now you don't have that anymore. Yeah, I agree 100. That's uh, and talking with Aaron Crowley, he was his situation was a little different. He owned several businesses and. He had one, uh, the no lift install cart that he has developed and, and and produces that he felt like really was going to take off. And he just, he couldn't split his time and attention between the two businesses. So he already had something to go to, but he made the comment that uh, people that he's talked to, there's there's this whole concept of seller's remorse is, is real. You know, if you haven't planned to sell your business to go to something, if you're in a situation, on the other hand, where you're, you're selling your business just because you're burned out, you're fried, you got to get out of it. Now you're running away from something. Then I think you're out, you're kind of, you're what you just said about the business being your identity. You're running away from that. And then six months to a year down the road, it's like, wait a minute, what did I do? Why? You know, what am I going to do now? You're going to actually know a guy that was a client that built uh, fiberglass center console fishing boats. Uh, that that you know, sixteen to twenty six foot kind of range, you know, not not the real big expensive ones. Of course, they they did some expensive ones too, I think, down the road. But he sold out prior to the recession to one of the big conglomerates, and he was, uh, I think, he was probably in a, in his forties when he sold. And I ran into him a few years ago, and he was back in the same business, but he had bought that brand from the conglomerate. And I said, dude, what? You know, you cashed out. You got the brass, and he got some good money. He had a, he got a really good chunk of change for his business. And I said, "What are you doing back in this thing again?" And he said, "Man, there's only so much hunting and fishing one man can do in his life." <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, he he thought he had the plan worked out, and so I think you know, as you said, that I'll use the Stephen Covey phrase: begin with the end in mind. You know, think about where it is you're going to have that plan, and realize that. Even though you got a plan, just like this guy who had the boat business had a had a great plan. And you know, at some point things change. You know, people change, we grow. So be prepared for that. And uh, and hopefully you've got something that you're running towards when you're selling your business and you're not trying to run away from something. Absolutely. I agree. You gotta have a plan. But uh, you know, and if you've done something for so long, sometimes you get burnt out on doing the same thing for so long. And I, I think that's the number one reason that a business owner would consider to sell is because they just want to change at pace. They want to change in life. It's still good to have that plan, even though you you are burnt out on what you're doing, you know, or, or what have you. Um, but yeah, I've also worked with business owners that they just want to uh, sell the current business that they have in the granite industry in one location and move to a different state and potentially buy a different shop in that state, you know, just and whether that 
it's because they have family in that location or uh, it's it's a you know, different climate. They just need a change of pace. They just want yep. to kind of kind of reset. They want to start over. What their plan was is to yeah, in a couple of years from now, I'll try and buy another shop. You know, I'll take a year off and then hopefully buy another shop in that area that I live in. Yep. That's um, even though Aaron Crowley had someone that he was going to, he said one mistake he made looking back on it, he wished he'd have had, he wished he had planned more downtime between the two because he he literally sold the business, you know, the end of one week and Monday morning he was full time in the other business, you know, and uh, that was what he wanted to do, but he wished he'd kind of had a break because uh, as we all know, this particular industry can, can be a bit of a challenge. It can, it can people, I, I talk to people all the time that have got burnout. I have, conversations with people that sometimes are literally in tears because of the stress. Uh, and so I think if you're in that situation and that's driving your sale, potential sale of the business, give yourself a break, take a vacation, do something, get the stress level down so that you can make a good sensible plan that's driven by facts and not driven by emotion, because that, that I think can, can put you in a tough spot. I've, I've talked to some folks who've sold at the wrong time, uh, sold for the wrong reasons, didn't have a plan, running away from stress. Um, that doesn't optimize your return on your business. Um, Chase, I really appreciate all the the time that you spent with us. Appreciate the information you've shared with us. Uh, hopefully folks will reach out to you if they've got questions. You got any closing thoughts as we wrap up this podcast series? Lots to think about, and it's a, it's a lot of preparation, and uh, you won't realize the amount of preparation that it is until you, you know until you really are truly prepared to sell. So, as we've stressed many many times, preparation starting right now needs to prepare you for the, the sale whenever it does come. So, I agree. I think that's the I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. Eh? Yeah. yeah, I agree. Thank you. Uh, that's one of the things that Aaron talked about. Even though he had. All of his financials had all of his paperwork. He said that uh, the process of selling the business was almost like taking on another full time job, and it took him six months to, to to work with his with a with a very willing and ready buyer. It was not a, not contentious at all. Uh, it just took that long with all the documentation. So starting to prepare now is key because he said, man, if he hadn't done the preparation, he said there's no way he he just survived that whole process. It would just been too too tough to go through all of that but it had a huge negative impact. So yeah, I think preparation it, 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 it takes a ton of time. I think, you know, from a, uh, from a commission standpoint, a lot of business owners may look at it like, man, you know, 10, 8%, depending on the value, the size of the business and everything else. That's a ton of money that a broker, you know, would receive for that. But uh, the behind the scenes time that really goes into the process and the selling the business and the inquiries of people that, you know, our tire kickers that you spend on the phone for hours and when it, all of a sudden you don't hear from them again from a broker standpoint. Um, and to, to kind of give you an example of that yesterday, I just got off the phone with a guy that's been selling businesses for 20 years and uh, he very nice business. He had, he had worked, it took about, I guess, nine to 10 months before we got, you know, the, the true offer, put everything in place, and it was three months in, in escrow in a week before the closing date on a multi-million dollar business, the buyer backed out. It just didn't end up pulling the trigger on the business. So here, here wow. you, you know, it's 11 months into this process. It's, uh, it's so much time and energy and countless hours of paperwork 
transfer back and forth. Uh, and, and then, you know, the buyer gets to feet week before. So it can be, you know, it can be stressful at times. And I think that's, you know, as a business owner that's truly looking to sell, I think that that's probably the biggest reason from to use a broker just as a professional to get get the offers, but not only to get the offers, but to put in that time to get to the closing table, hold the deal together, um, have the experience of what to expect, and and then also, you know, have someone working for you on that behalf while you're still operating and running the business. And as you can imagine, if, if that business owner put in a couple hundred hours and or you know a hundred hours into the selling process. More than that, and you're going to end up being a couple hundred hours into the actual selling process of the business. You lose your focus on running the business because you're like, oh, this is this is what's most important. This is I want to sell my business. This is where I'm going to focus my attention, and then and then the deal falls apart. Now you have a double. Now you have two problems. You you, you still don't have a sold business, and your business is probably you know, one down a little bit in the terms of you losing focus and not not maintaining that focus on the business. Um, 100%. That was exactly some advice that uh, somebody gave Aaron early in his process um, because, um, people, you know, a buyer can walk out at the last minute. And I think, too, this, this whole concept of having something that you're moving towards rather than something you're moving away from, I think if you're in a situation where you're just trying to get out of the business, cash out what you can just to get rid of the stress, it's really easy when you think you've got this thing sold to start to back off and not pay attention to the details of running the business. And, and as you said, the, the business can start to suffer as a result of that. And if for some reason the sale falls through, now you've still got to try to sell your business and you got to try to fix what you hadn't been working on the last few months. So yeah, I think that's uh, that's really good advice. Um, Chase, and I, that, I think that even applies to the uh, to the employees as well. You know, the employees they can kind of read their the boss or the business owner, if you will, and see how much dedication and um, effort you know they're putting into the business. And if they're used to seeing one thing, and all of a sudden that drops off quite a bit, then you know it's something that they can kind of read. From that perspective too. So they certainly can. Yeah, that's something we haven't talked about. It's how to handle your employees. Uh, fortunately, we had an episode with Aaron where that's that's all we talked about. It wasn't a long episode, but talked about how they handle employees. And you've got a certain amount of confidentiality early in the process, and then at some point, you know, you've got to start dealing with employees and the fact that this the whole situation could change during a sale. So um, yeah, I think that's that's certainly something to consider. Again, if you're running towards something. It's easier to plan for that sort of thing. If you're running away from something, it's easier to let that slide, and then things can get really ugly real quickly. So, I think that's that's good advice. So, Chase, thanks for all your time. I appreciate the um, the experience and the knowledge you've shared with us. So hopefully, it's been beneficial for our listeners. Um, they've got your contact information, uh, folks. If you're listening, you think about you want to sell your business any time in the future. Talk to a broker. Give Chase a call. Uh, pick his brain, find out what he can tell you. Um, go ahead and get a preliminary evaluation on your business so that you know where you are today. That's your starting point. And then as you start putting together exit strategy, now you've got a, a, a yardstick. You can start to measure your progress towards that. So Chase, thanks again. And folks, thank you for listening. Hope this is helpful for you. And until next time, happy fabricating. So that's our third and last episode with Chase Busenbart. 
Hopefully you found that information helpful. This also wraps up our six-part series on selling your business. Again, the reason that we do these podcasts is to provide information that's hopefully helpful for you. And a lot of folks think at some point they want to get out of the business and they want to sell it and put that cash in their pocket and go do some different things, go do some great things or retire. I think uh, going through these podcast episodes hopefully will give you a good idea of the realities of that process, the realities of some of the financial considerations, and uh, hopefully give you some good food for thought. Uh, if you found this helpful, let us know. We're always happy to hear from our listeners. You can contact me at uh, ed at fabricatorscoach.com. You can go check out fabricatorscoach.com to download some free tools and things to help you out. But we always love to hear from you.